buzz, something like that? Is that, how, is that how the bees do it? I'm not as much as animated I'm usually, but uh, I had to do that last today because I was drunk with the Holy Spirit all together at the retreat. So that was kind of awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I know uh, this, the buzz is going to continue. It's already started at the worship, I can see. And um, uh, we just had an awesome time um, um, uh, at the retreat with our uh, board meetings and the pastors and some of the leaders in our church. And we had just awesome time in, um, in the nature. If you can take a, a picture, it, just, just, uh, it was just great. It was a great time in the nature and with God and in this particular retreat. And, uh, you know, we, we worship all morning. We got there at 8 o'clock in the morning, had a great breakfast. And then uh, we had a, a two sessions, and we, uh, we, had, we took this uh, hayless hayride. I have never done a hayride before. I know my kids did, and I kind of guess what it is, but I personally was never on it. I sent my kids when they're little to hayrides, parties, and whatever you, ha- you have it. I never done it, so I expected something, and I got there, there was no hay, so I had no idea what this meant, but they, t- they told me it's not the season for it, so they took the hay out, but we had a great time. They strolled around the wilderness and in the woods, and at the end, we were just rewarded. It was an amazing surprise. There was a lake, a little tiny, amazing, beautiful lake composed of the spring water. They say it's so super clean that during the summer, people come there for picnic and, and swimming and uh, uh, is that water sliding. So it's an amazing place that we were able to enjoy. And I know you're going to hear about that. That's going to be a buzz also. Like buzz, saying, okay, we should go back there. I hear this all the time, you know, which remind us that when we got together, you know, the, the theme uh, of yesterday's uh, retreat was coming together. Um, year before, we kind of had a sort of a unity, you know. We want to come together as unity, but now we, instead of using just noun, noun is sort of a, a, a passive, it's not an active, so let's say come, let's come together. Uh, in unity and uh, come together as a, as 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 friend as a, as a body and come together in spirit and so that was just we had a I think it worked it was just awesome time and um, and we also learned about how you know in order for us to be led by spirit and if you're led by spirit in every daily life you go to the places we do the things we go to the place where you are comfortable enough to invite Jesus to that place. And if you cannot invite Jesus to that particular place, it's not spirit-led, and God may not be pleased. And that's one way in which to judge as to whether we're doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. So just putting things in very simple a way it was very uh, uh, uplifting for us to 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 receive, and so that was that's awesome. And uh, I guess the real the word buzz uh, was going to come from the the honeybee. You know, honeybee actually makes the buzz sound, and uh, you know something happens when a commotion happens. People say, "What's the buzz?" You know, um, uh, and uh, so that's that. And, and I think we're going to go. And then when you retire to the uh, fellowship hall, I think you're going to hear more about this kind of particular buzz. Let me tell you a little bit about it. But before I do that, I'm going to read one Bible verse that's not uh, read today. It's First um, Corinthians twelve seven. It says, "Now to each one, that's to all of us, the manifestation of the Spirit." is given for common good. You see, when God gives us Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the Bible says all along, all over the place, it says Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we just need to find a way to activate that with the presence of God. And, 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 but it's given to us for common good, not just for uh, improve myself or yourself, just for individual. Yeah, but it's, it's really for common good. And uh, it's just uh, fascinating about this uh, uh, particular story, uh, illustration, or parable about the bee. I never really know much about it. I knew about the birds. I knew about the eagles. There are a lot of things in, in, uh, in, in the nature that God uses to teach us, and not much about the bees. But I know the honey is in the Bible. But bees are such a fascinating creature. And uh, let me tell you some little... Uh, facts about the bee. But before I do that, um, um, one of our uh, 
member, new member, uh, wrote a book called B Parables. And uh, when I first saw it, I said, B Parables. But I knew immediately, I didn't know what it was about, but within two seconds I knew the, because of the word parables, I get it. Because when Jesus talked, when Jesus tried to teach us something, he always used parables to teach us. Something simple, something that we can relate to. You know, he was a scholar, but he was very, very uh, down-to-earth, relatable scholar, a scholar who, would, who knows how to teach very complicated equation and theory to a little kid. That's what the parable is all about. So they can understand, they can get it. And so I was fascinated. I started reading it. It was so awesome. And I just read the Bible verse, right? The particular Bible verse about spirit is given to us, remember, for common good. And that's for you to do good, but just common good. And, um, and here, um, in his book, he summarizes that although more than 60,000 individual bees may be in a hive, they all work together for the common good. Somehow, their efforts are coordinated with amazing efficiency to the benefit of all the members. If we can be just like bee, this will be a perfect place to be for the common good. You know, if, if our family could work like this for a common good, we'll have a perfect family. It's just amazing. And the thing is that just, I don't know how many hives are on Earth planet, maybe millions uh, out there. And they each, every one of them, unless we go and mess up with that broomstick, they are perfect beehives for the benefit of common good. Let me just, just, just think about it, you know. And just uh, so that you can butter up to this bee thing, you know. Let me just read you a couple of things about simple facts. Okay, you read or you heard that a, a colony, they call it a beehive, a colony, a group of uh, bees are working together. Okay, so it's their own, own thing. Uh, there are about 60,000 uh, bees are buzzing in that place. Okay, uh, they produce... Not 3 pounds, not 30 pounds, 300 pounds of honey per year. Do you know how much 300 pounds is? I weigh 175, 180. It's almost double my weight they produce in one colony. It's just totally amazing. But you know what they do? They actually consume, I I was told they just consume half of them. You know, because they need to survive, especially during the winter times. They can, uh, and they cannot do all that stuff. They consume about half, uh, half of them. But the other half, it's just for reserve for other people to enjoy, like us. They produce for the benefit of others. It's just totally amazing. Now, the thing is that these honeybees, they only live six to eight weeks. How sad. And I thought the dogs are... Like, uh, you know, live only 10, 12, 15 years. I feel pity for them, but, you know, uh, they only live six to eight weeks. They have a queen. They have uh, guards. They have uh, uh, those who makes wax, those who takes that wax and creates that hexagon shape in the honeybees. They have a bees that does all the cleaning of the mess that queen created. And, and they have a, the, the bees that does uh, all this uh, ventilating the actual hives. Now I know why the difference between, if I look at butterfly, I mean, even though you have so much less and people use how caterpillar uh, gets transformed, a major trans- gets a transformation and becomes a butterfly, that how we need to be transformed like it, which is great illustration, right? But then you look at it, we use those things, and, uh, but the bees, so looking at the butterflies, so they fly so effortlessly. You know, not creating anything. They don't crave any wave, no turbulence when they fly. Just very effortlessly. You don't even know they're coming, okay? But the bees, even if it's a single one, we know because they make the buzz. The buzz. They make noise, the buzz. And it was just so fascinating. They actually do that to, to, um, to, to protect the beehives. You know, it needs to maintain certain temperature. That little beehives. 
need, you know, summertime or wintertime when it gets cold, they need to make sure it doesn't get too high. It doesn't, so they, they constantly, I guess, wave their wings very, very fast in order to create this uh, ventilation to keep the temperature within the colony, the beehive, in a very consistent temperature. And it's totally, totally amazing. There's more amazing things about it. Honey, what do you know about this organic food? This is something I discovered yesterday as Dave Silk, who is author of this book, explained to us how many food, organic food out there that last for a long time. You know, I remember that one time I was driving, one of my friends was driving, he eats the banana and then throws away into the uh, gutter or the, the highway, into the bo- uh, woods. I said, what are you doing? You're littering. I said, I'm not littering. This is organic. Within two, three, four days, it will decompose. Now I will know. Our human body, when we cease to uh, function, within two, three, maybe within a couple hours, we begin to decay. Uh, if a tree is, is cut down from the uh, roots, it's going to begin to decay. They don't last too long. Fruits, maybe a day to 10 days at most, and they, they begin to decay. Anything that's organic, if it's rooted from the, where its original uh, location, they begin to decay. Honey is organic. It's very organic. But do you know how long it lasts? I was told that it can last 1,000 years. Would you eat honey that's 1,000 years old? That's it, it's still good. Honey is also antibiotic. So if you have a little cut here, and you know you're away from somewhere, you don't have any, uh, whatever you call that, stuff that you put on in Neosporin or something like that, you can put honey, apply honey, because it's antibiotic, it does the same kind of thing. It's an amazing product. It's awesome product, so make sure you have honey in your jar home somewhere for uh, anything that you'll need. The queens are just also amazing. They're not genetically born that way. You know, we think that, uh, you know, if you're born into certain, to do a certain task, but they're assigned. They're bec- when a queen dies, they just create somehow another queen among themselves, and, but only one queen. It's just totally amazing. It's just totally amazing. And the other thing is that this beast knows fully, 100% about the sacrifice. And that's what our Christianity is all about. Okay? We are here together as Christians, believers, because our Lord Jesus sacrificed his life. Without his total sacrifice, we won't be here. And, and, and troubles that we have in our life is because we refuse to sacrifice. We refused just give up ourselves on the benefit of others. We, for, we sacrifice one thing. We even refuse. We're so stubborn even to forgive little things or big things. That's how we get us all these trouble and problems in life. I bet 99% of the problems that we face in our life has to do with not sacrificing that 100%. But B teaches us about all 100%. When B, when you try to attempt to uh, uh, get to beehive or make attempt to uh, destroy the beehive, there's called uh, guards. I didn't know they had it. Of the 60,000, there are always few right at the entrance of beehive, always guarding. You may not know it, but that's the way it is. And they attack if you come any distance close to that. But however, if you're away, they don't bother you. They leave you alone. So they have this uh, assignment that is given to for the common good to protect. And talking about sacrifice, these guards, guard honeybees, when they're ready to attack, they feel that they're threatened. The beehives are threatened. The 50,000, 60,000 beehives are threatened. What they do is they're ready to attack you. Only then. They're ready to attack you. The thing is, when they attack, it's a total kamikaze. It's total sacrifice. When they sting you, they die. They give everything, their guts or whatever, it's, uh, they give it to you. 
and you get that poison, whatever the case may be, and you, we suffer, but they die. And it's the sacrifice of, of that is so real in that queen lays about 10 to 20,000 eggs a day. And that's why they can only live, live six, eight weeks and keep on reproducing, keep on reproducing. And as we're hearing about all these amazing things about the bee, we'll realize something very, very critical. Bee is very novel. They understand total sacrifice. They understand how to uh, do their own task for the common goods. They, they, when it's necessary, they don't blame each other, but they, they reassign the duties to make sure that their uh, beehives are complete and their purpose of existence, which is to produce honey, is met. Amazing, amazing creature God created for us to learn. And um, this book is awesome. I think uh, he gave us for free. See, if you come to retreat, they give you things for free. I don't know about uh, you guys, but you may have to purchase it. <laughs> so it's an amazing book that you can read about. But the bee, uh, very, I just, as I was reading the whole book, it felt very novel. You know, when any, any creature understands about sacrifice, understands about the mission, and producing something that it's tangible, that you can actually touch and, and benefit from, that's novel. That's very novel. It's not all about their stomach. There are lots of insects and creatures. It's all about their stomach. They just want to feed themselves. That's all. They don't really have a purpose uh, in their wilderness. Maybe in an uh, ecological system, we can all argue that they all have a purpose. Yes, that we all have a purpose. Okay? But basically, it's not about their, just about their stomach. They have a mission and they have a purpose. And that in order to accomplish that mission, they sacrifice. That's just totally amazing. And that's why I can say that the bees are very noble in that sense. Having heard of that, Proverbs 31 makes a whole lot of sense that I've been talking about for the last whole year. Uh, entire, we studied the entire book of Proverbs, and we're down in the Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31, from verse 10 through 11, is about the woman of a noble character, or otherwise known as wife of noble character. So that means uh, Jesus is groomed. We uh, are the bride. So since we are married to Jesus, and we proclaim that he is our Savior, so we become all of us, men and female, or we become wives. So therefore, even the Bible says, woman of noble character, the wife of noble character, we are all should be a noble character. And that's what the Bible, that's what Proverbs is teaching us, because the book of Proverbs is about wisdom, wisdom of life. However, that wisdom that we've been studying for the entire year is more than just wisdom, right? It's the essence of Jesus. It's not just nice saying. It's essence of Jesus. How do we know? For those who have not been here before, it says very clearly in the Bible. First of all, it says wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding and get wisdom. So if, if you have a choice, you want to get a wisdom, which is not a tangible, and then you have your house, your cars, choose one. But what the Bible is teaching us, if you're wise... You should choose this wisdom. Because the one thing we know, if you choose the wisdom and you miss, you lose your house and home, you know within a few years, people with the wisdom can have all that back. People get destroyed. I got destroyed when my heart transplant surgery came along. I lost everything. I really did. I knew that's another, another 40 minutes of a sermon. I lost my uh, just all my finances, basically. But because of the wisdom, because of Jesus, I was able to rise up. Uh, and that's the, what he's talking about. Then, that's, that's wisdom is good. But if you go a little further along, the Bible says, I, wisdom, dwells together with prudence. All of a sudden, wisdom is no longer just a, a noun. It's pronoun. It's a person. Oh, who is this I? I'm the wisdom. Who is this I? Do I need to say any more? Jesus. His Jesus. I am the wisdom. Therefore, wisdom is the essence of Jesus. 
Now, if we take the book of Proverbs out of the Bible, and we all, everything that we know about Jesus, how would you describe about Jesus? Oh, yeah, he uh, was son of God, oh, he's, he's God, and he's also son of God. He came down to us, and then he died for us so we can have a new life, so we can go to heaven. What else can you tell me about Jesus? That's what most people would say. But I know if I ask you, tell me about your boyfriend or tell me about your girlfriend, it's going to be more than that. It's going to be far more than that. You're going to say all these attributes about him or her. Yeah, you, you should see the things that she does for me. You know, the way she cooks, the way she gives me, right? Just, just know how to give me the flowers. My wife is not into flowers. I don't think that's his. I don't have to worry about that aspect of it. But that's the way she talks to me. That's the way he takes care of a certain this. See, these are the essence. These are the attributes of the people whom you love. Book of Proverbs, the wisdom is the essence of Jesus. So you'll know, oh, in this situation, it's not just the, it's a simple wisdom. It's the way that Jesus would do. And that's what, that's, that's, with that, when you read the entire book of uh, Proverbs, it's just amazing what we studied. Right? If you want to know more about it, you know, we'll, one day we repeat this whole thing again. You know, but that's, that's what it is. Yes. And, um, and uh, it says that... Uh, and he said, okay, I wisdom. Okay, those who are very mental-minded people here, they don't care for the emotional stuff. They need to understand logically. Well, here it is, next verse, few verses down. And the Proverbs uh, 28, uh, 23 says, I was appointed. Then we said, who is I? I was appointed from eternity. All right, so you have any argument against this? I, with Jesus, I was already appointed from the eternity, from the beginning. Before the world began. Sounds very familiar. The book of John's. Exactly what it is. Jesus was there from the beginning to the eternity. He was appointed. And how do we know that that, that, that person is Jesus? That the person who was appointed? Well, if you go to Hebrews, which in New Testament, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, but in these last days, like now, he has spoken to us by his son. So we get that. The son Jesus came, whom he was appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So Jesus is God. Jesus is Jesus himself. Okay. So Jesus is the wisdom. So that is so powerful. So I just want to reemphasize the importance of Proverbs. And then as we just finish off, this is really my last one on Proverbs, uh, Proverbs in the book of 31. And uh, the, the verse from 10 to 31 is about the uh, wife of noble character, which we are. And relating that to the BB is very noble. And this person, this woman, us, a believer, should be of noble character. So, let's begin to uh, continue to look at. So, what does she look like, feel like? Verse 10, uh, a wife of noble character who can find. You can find in, in, in this illustration in the beast, and you got them all. Hopefully, we are all like that. And the verse, uh, the ones that we studied, uh, verse 11, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. This, and you go into it, looks in the story of Beehive, I found that this is so true. They have confidence in each other, they lack nothing. If they're lacking something, they make it up. So that common good is accomplished. Verse 12, she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. That's their purpose and duty. Yeah, sometimes, you know, if um, that guard be may come and, and, and attack you, give you a little harm, give you a little sting, but the idea is to keep that honey that they're supposed to produce for the common good keeps on producing. 
She provides, she is a provider. She gets up early while it is still dark, provides food for her family and portion for her servant girls. Take the believers, real Christians, Christians whom God will favor, works hard and takes care of all her or his people. Not just your stomach. It says, takes care of her family. Everybody does. Every single one of you, us, will do that. But it says, it, doesn't, it does not have a period there. It says, and she takes care of, provides for the servant girls. For business, it's an employees. You take care of employees, just like you would do it with the, the family. It is so mind-boggling for me to see this for several thousand years ago. When the, the whole society, the culture was different, when it was so hierarchical that this truth, this wisdom was still there, and she practiced it. We talk about different cultures. Wow, we don't do that in Africa. We don't do that in Korea. We don't do that in Latin America. That's different culture. You've got to let them do what they do. But the truth, there's only one absolute truth, and God's truth. That truth does not vary whether you're in Mars or uh, here or uh, uh, Alaska or Russia. It's the same truth. 16, she considers fear and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Basically, don't borrow money. If you want to do something, use your own, your own, own earned money to do so. And God's going to bless that far more than if you were ask, going to ask your uncle or your aunt to give you money to start a business. 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. Her task is obviously she's owner, so she's a manager. But her arms are strong, indicating that in those days, there was no really white-collar worker. They're all blue-collar, or they're all laborers. So in other words, she labored with her together for the common goods. Making profits. She sees that in verse 18 that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. There's nothing wrong with making money. Bees, their purpose of existence is to produce honey. Honey that benefits others. Verse 20 in the money that you make, she has a purpose. It's not just to f- satisfy her stomach. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. That's the purpose. You know? Yeah, you have, to, you have to make money to feed, to survive, just like bees. They make 300 pounds of honey, but they need to consume that during the winter time to sustain, but they always make produce enough so that they can be given to others, even for more res- to have more reserves. Amazing thing is, in, in, in business, we, we struggle to get, get like 5 even 10% profit. It was like 10% profit. Wow, this is, we're so happy, great year. 15, we'll jump up and down, and, and 20. Oh, you guys are doing something wrong. <laughs> You're making too much money, okay? But that's, that's what it is. But honeybees, they make 50, is it 100% profit? Is that, is that 100%? My math is a little bit. If you make 300 pounds and you consume 150 to survive, and then you, uh, you left over 150 uh, pounds, is that 100%? That's 50%. 50%. Their profit is 50%. They're, they're, they're running pretty good business. How's your business? How's your business? I bet uh, the problem is if, you make, if everybody makes 50% profit, I don't think you guys will be in church. You become God yourself. Good thing that we don't do that kind of things, right? Verse 21, I think, is the one we studied last week. When it snows, uh, she has no fear for household, uh, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. It's about having reserve. Remember that we talked about that last week? 
Okay, you know we know that the life is a cycle. Sometimes we have, a, you know, even with the spouse, we we have a low points, we have a little troubles, we fight and we don't talk for a while, and then there are happy moments that go like this. And business the same thing. You make some profits appear, and then you lose money, and you don't know where the next uh, money has come from. It says when it snows, that's that's a storm. That's that's the a difficult time that we're going to face. Whether it's a financial problem, whether it's emotional problem, it's going to come. Prepare for it. Prepare for it. And because she prepared, she has no fear for her safetyness of her household. And what does it mean to live like that for your home, for your family? For your family, it's to make sure you have some, don't just leave, what is it, paycheck to paycheck. That is not what God teaches us. You have to save for that storm for your family, for your kids. It's a requirement. I live by tape. I said, you've got to change your life, whatever it is. If you think you're still not making enough, well, do something else. Learn something, new skill, do something. If you cannot reduce your expenses so that you can always have some reserve, critical. We as pastors cannot teach the word of God without living out this. Because going, people are going to challenge you. How do you deal with a situation like this? Because many people have these problems. Well, they can say, well, I have the same problem. It doesn't help the, your congregation. When I was have a difficult time uh, after heart transplant surgery, I need to... I couldn't even think about reserve. I need to make enough money just to pay for my medication, which insurance didn't, didn't cover. For two, three, four years, for three years, Janice and I, we never went to movie theater. We never had a, bought a coffee. We never bought anything for my kids. You know, we had a, whatever church gave me. And uh, we, we would just save as much as we deduced our, our thing as, as possible. Today, I don't think that really happens. Even though you're poor, even though you don't have enough expense, your friends are going to Starbucks, you go in there too. What's wrong with the saying, I can't afford it, I can't go to, I, go to, you know, I can't go to that. It's okay to say those things. Don't, you know, give in to the peer pressure. Verse 22, she makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Stay fit. Dress well. That's what the Bible says. That's we like to keep it formal. She makes covering for her bed. She makes her own bed. Clean up your own mess. If you learn to clean up on your mess in your organization, your business, you will become more valuable than good product that you may perform for that company. What are you talking about then? Well, you know, my boss told me to write a one-page article. I wrote it. Here it is. People read it. This is a perfect, beautiful article. So you're very proud. But things that's not said in creating this wonderful, beautiful article, you create a lot of mess. You hurt these people in the office. You did this. You left all these uh, uh, leftovers. Every time you, you're writing this conference, that conference, you left your mess, empty bottles of water, coffee, uh, leftover coffee, you leave it behind, people are watching and observing. And people are beginning to say, he may be, he, she may be a good writer, but he doesn't, it's just too much trouble in our office. And you don't become valuable. Because good writer, hmm, you can always buy it. You can always hire somebody to be a good writer. It's hard to find somebody with good moral character that knows how to do for common good. Cleaning after somebody else's, cleaning up their own mess. That's like bees. They clean up their own mess. And they don't want their mess to be in the hive that somebody else to clean. clean. Only the king, queen is allowed to do that. What do they do? They don't poop in the beehive. When the time comes, it's my call. And they fly out. They do it in the air. And we come into the beehive, they're nice and clean. They do not make a mess, but we make a lot of mess. We make mess by saying something bad to somebody, 
saying things that are inappropriate, that's creating a mess. You may have written a wonderful, beautiful article. You may have done a wonderful design, but you may create a lot of mess in an organization. All of a sudden, a year, two, three, four years later, you do not become a valuable person in that organization. You are dispensable. Verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. I can get into a lot of details. This takes about another five, ten minutes to, to explain, which I did last time. But if you want to know, this is so good. So if you want to learn more about it, go to website and <laughs> click the next, last week's message and hear about all this. It is all about you do something for others. So others look good in their place. It, that's what it's all about. If I serve, if I serve um, uh, uh, David, for example, so well, and he works for uh, the other company, and the company says, whatever you do, man, what are you doing? You know, you are always on time. You are always, you are always uh, 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 joyful, and I give you work. The assignment is good, and what do you do? how do you do it? My job as his uh, um, uh, worker or his uh, architect or designer is to make sure that I deliver so that he looks good in his organization. And that's, when that happens, he gets promoted to his company, meaning he sits among the elders of the land. That's a promotion. He got promoted. If he gets promoted, guess what happened to us? We go with him. Because now he has morals. Instead of designing one or two buildings, he's going to be designing 10, 20 buildings. It's in every time. It's a time. I need you to help me out. All of a sudden, my business increase, grows. That's what happens. That's what good company does, and that's the way it works. You help your client. You help your spouse so that they could look good. And I think a lot of spouse today forget to understand that. You know, you, there's, there's, there's a saying about the behind great uh, man, there's always a wonderful woman, or vice versa. You know, behind a wonderful woman, there's a great husband. It's so, so true. This is just so true in business. You help your client, whoever you're serving, make him or she look good. Make your boss look good. He is going to take you with him if he gets promoted. Well, you, know, you know about all this uh, presidential election these days. Guess what? Whoever becomes president, they're going to bring the people who helped him, made him look good, either during the election or five years ago or 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. When they're looking for somebody really good strategist, they're going to look for that someone. But looking for somebody, I don't really need a strategist. I need someone who can give me the, 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 the who knows, say just things as it is. Someone that I can totally trust. They're going to look for somebody 20, 30 years ago, their child friends, that they were the man of God, a man of woman, a man of God, a woman of God, who can totally trust their integrity and the judgment. That's why they're going to go up there. You watch. A lot of presidents, when they pick somebody, they pick from somebody from just a strategist, producer, but then always look for someone with the character, integrity, that they want them, those people, to stand next to those people. If that's the lesson, that's the real thing that happens in the business as well. Make your boss look good. That's your client. And if you have outside client, make that client look good, and they will take you with you. 25, she's clothed with the fine, uh, with the strength and dignity. She can laugh at all the days to come. If you don't, if you don't harm anybody, there is no association with the guilt. So now you can sleep easily. With, you know, that's, that's the whole idea behind it. 26, she speaks with the wisdom with the, and faithful instruction is on, on her tongues. That's what we ought to be doing. Just people of highest integrity. Verse 27 to the rest is the core of today's scripture. So let's look at 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
How does this apply to our lives? She, does, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. It means if you are the leader of your family, which you are, if you are leader or responsible for whatever it is in an organization, make sure you know what is happening. If something fish is going on, you make sure you correct that. You, meaning you watch. You watch over those affairs of household. Whatever happens, if it's money, somebody is putting money in different direction, you have to make sure that does not happen. You can't close your eyes to that. Because ultimately, eventually, not only your company will go down, you will go down with it by association. You can say all you want, I was not part of it. By association, it can go down. And she will not eat the bread of idleness. I remember back uh, many, many years ago when I was in uh, high school, and the time when I was, my father was a seminary student, and he was working and uh, didn't have enough means to uh, feed our family. So he says, son, we need to uh, take on another project, another work. So he took a janitorial job in Upper Derby, you know, about six, seven-story building, and he was, after the people leave, Around seven, eight hours, it was a, a, a newspaper company. Yeah. So, um, it's a newspaper company, and he would, uh, uh, no, that's, that, wasn't, that was a story for uh, the other story. Uh, um, it was an insurance company, but it wasn't the WW one. But it was about the insurance, and um, uh, he, we were living one time, that's right, we were living in the city of Philadelphia, okay, and we were paying certain insurance. And then we moved out to Armour, not Abeldabi. We moved to Armour, uh, which is uh, sort of a main line. It's not the city of Philadelphia. And uh, when he was in Philadelphia, he paid the premium for the insurance. And moved out to Philadelphia. Uh, a few months later, uh, he got a, pay- a check from this insurance company saying, here's a refund. I don't know how much it was. In fact, I looked at it, it says, like, and he read it. Basically, it says this. It says, now that you moved out to Armour, your premium is a little lower because there's less the risk with your car insurance situation. And since you already paid X amount of money uh, for that duration, when you're in uh, Philadelphia, you overpaid for that duration. So we have a pro uh, rated, and we're going to give you back uh, however the money was. I don't know how much that was. My father looked at it and says, this is... Amazing. And then he said, This is a great country. And he says, Let this be a good example how we should run our business. He said, This is so biblical. Because he comes from uh, uh, you know, Korea back about 40, 50 years ago. Korea was probably the poorest country in the world after the Korean War. And you don't do that kind of stuff. If you give them money, they're not going to give you back just because you moved to the uh, location where the premium is less. And he looked, this is totally amazing. And um, it, you know, when you look at those things, you know the foundation of this country was founded on a biblical principle. And I just, that, like, you know, little lessons like that that, we, when, when, that I learned from my father when I was high school or junior, actually I was a junior in high school, that's had a profound, profound impact on me. And, and um, that's exactly what I did. I think I told you that, right, many, many years ago, not many years ago, when I started my own company, uh, a design firm, I think it was exactly uh, 16 or 17 years ago, and there was fire. There was fire in the ambulance, and um, uh, there was fire in the ambulance, uh, a church in Ambler. Uh, so I got a call from the uh, Bluebell uh, Township zoning officer, who is also an inspector. He calls me up and says, Tim, uh, uh, I looked, the, looked you up in the Bluebell uh, directory because we would like to use the Bluebell company. And uh, I see that you're a structural engineer as well. Can you go take a look at the, the, uh, the, the burned down uh, church? Because what it is is that the roof was totally burned down. And usually the roof provides a lot of support so that when the wind blows, the wall does not fall. Well, the roof was totally burned down, and there was just one wall just standing up, and it was about 20 feet away from the sidewalk. So he was concerned if the wind blows, it's going to knock 
towards the sidewalk is going to be a safety issue. So I think I need you to go out there right away. And because the insurance company is pushing us to wait until they come down to make the professional assessment as to what happened to this particular father, whether it was arsenal, it was nature, by nature, by accident, whatever they want to you know how they investigate things. But they won't feel comfortable. So they ask me to come down. He says, okay, I think we can do that. I'll go down. He says, how much would you charge? Well, I said, you know, something like that. I can just send the junior engineer. Should be adequate to do that assessment. He says, okay, how much is that? Back then, it was a lot cheaper. It was $75 an hour. I know it sounds like a lot of money for you guys, but uh, after you take out the overhead, insurance, uh, billing, and rental, water, it's, it's not that much. <laughs> so anyway, he says, okay, fine, go. So I, I, I clicked my phone. I looked around. At that time, I only had seven, eight people. So this particular junior engineer that I was thinking about, he was not in the office. So I knew the urgency of it, so I turned around to the senior engineer and said, why don't you go? I said, yeah, she went. he went. Well, he was at the, about 120000 an hour. I didn't think about those things. I just sent him. So uh, he went out, and he did the assessment. He sent the report saying it's, it's okay, I guess. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it because the senior engineer pretty able person. And about two months later, I was driving Ambler. I see this burned down church just the way it was back then. So then it just hit me. He just hit me. I remember telling him that I was saying $75 an hour, guy who's $75 an hour, but the senior engineer who was, whom we normally charge $120 an hour went out there. And then I took if the way we do our accounting, you know, with the, you put the timesheet, you put the pricing number, and automatically whoever is worked on it, the, the, the race gets a charged, uh, uh, charged to automatically. So I knew then it would have been whatever number of hours he spent multiplied by 120 probably went out. So I called my accounting uh, a person who says, uh, explaining situation, he says, uh, what's the situation here? Of course, he charged X number of hours. We have multiplied that by 120, and uh, that's what we did. Oh, no, I told him 75, even though the real guy, I mean, the, even the senior engineer went out, but my word was 75. So remembering what my father taught me, and it says, why don't you take the difference and send it back to them? He says, no, don't worry about it, Tim. He says, why? He says, we already got paid. There was like one split second of a temptation. Okay, let it go. No, I said, no. Take the difference and send it back to them. And we did send the difference back to them. Three, four days later, I got a call from this zoning inspector. And asked, what's this? Apparently, the accounting group did not give any explanation to send the check-in. So I explained what the whole situation was. And then he said, I've been doing this business for a long time. I've never seen anything like this. And he hey, was, was silenced for about two, three seconds on the other phone. And he says, from now on, any engineering project is yours. See, that's how God favors people. That's how God favors people. You see what I'm saying? And, and this Bible verse said, taught us to do it that way. It says, watch his affairs of household. Make sure what's go, going in and out. You should know that, okay? And then it said, does not eat the bread of idleness. Bread of idleness is like earning something that you, have not, you, haven't, you haven't deserved. Now, in my case, I actually deserve that because I actually sent a senior engineer but it is still, it was my word. It was $75 of what clients remember, okay? The fact that I couldn't send out the junior engineer, it's my problem. It's not his. So I wanted to make sure that, of that. But bread of iron is, is very important because the concept is very important. When we were doing, I, I, I was talking to my brother who was a physician. He says, you know how easy it is for doctors to get the money or tests that we haven't performed. How's that? He says, then we've got this standard sheet right here. What did you perform? Blood test, which is, everybody does that. <clears throat> you know, blood pressure test. Every time you check something, blood test is a couple hundred dollars, and the pressure is another $20. I don't know, it's probably more than $20. Whatever number is associated, they check. And then down here somewhere it says, items that are like not that noticeable, but can, they can charge $1,000, $2,000, is very, very, very tempting. 
And he says, so many doctors get in trouble with this. So many doctors get in trouble with this. He says, do not eat the bread of, bread of idleness. You have heard in newspaper, uh, some construction company charging federal government uh, $500 for one hammer. You heard that before. It's on the newspaper. They have so many, you know, when they're doing so, $100 million, $200 million construction, and they, if it's a federal job, it's not lump sum job. It's, everything is time and material. I use this, I use this, I use this. And then, and then somehow they say, okay, they're not gonna, never going to see that the hammer is $500. They just check off, and, and that's how they get in trouble. The Bible says not to do it. And you expect to cheat something like that and expect your company to be blessed by God? God saying, I will not bless if you do something like that. And the woman of a noble character, a noble person, my people will not do that. And if you keep, if you had that temptation and you resist it, that's when I am pleased and I will take care of you. I will find a favor will take care of you. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed and her husband also and he praises her. You know, all the work that I do, the work that you do, you know, one day, you know, you know where we get, the man gets satisfaction from all this accomplishment. I got this, I got that. I created this department from $1 million department to $10 million. We get lots of total satisfaction about accomplishment. But in real truth is that everybody, okay, at the end of the day, what we really desire is 28. If our children arise, gets up in the morning, hey, Dad, hey, Mom, I just want to say thank you because I see that you're blessed. I see that God is with you, you know. I see that you resist some temptation. And then I see a year later, I see two days later that I see the victory. I see that often. Yeah, I've seen some failures too, but I've seen more of victory. I'm going to call that blessed. They begin to praise you. That is the ultimate satisfaction. That's what God desires. You know, um, I don't want to brag, but I have to because this book, uh, the P31, they came out. I have, uh, when I was, when this book was producing, the, uh, the publication company asked me, I want you to send uh, to your friends and your clients for some recommendations. And that they will pick about three or four that they can put it in there. Well, apparently, they actually end up putting in about 15, 20 of them. I never really counted them. Okay. Usually, the recommendation in the front, there's only one or two. Well, they put 15 of them. And the last two, the last two, um, I think that's because, then I said, well, maybe I should ask my family too. Send it to Janice, Juliana, and Christina. And I guess Janice decided not to put one in there because his wife is too much of a, you know, self-edifying. So my uh, <coughs> daughter Juliana wrote, my father lives by what he teaches. When I saw that, I was like, remind me of verse 28. Her children rise in cold blast. She knows that I'm, I'm not a fault. I got a lot of weakness and faults. But she was able to write this. And when this was released, and I went to Black, Black in, in the Korea, you don't know how many people responded. When I went to the bookstore, and I was going through the skipping through whether to buy this book or not, and they go through the recommendation. At the end, it says, her daughter said he lives by what he preaches. That was good enough for me to pick up the book and buy it. It's a powerful. It's what we want. That's what you want, right? So, so much for all the accomplishment. If your children get up and say you're accomplished, you know, you may be struggling right now, but God has a purpose. Just stay in there. And one day, God says, your children says, God, I, Dad and Mom, I see that you're blessed. That's all we call for. That's all we can really wish for. In a careful. And Julian Krishna said that something similar. She said something, my father believes that our life is complete only when family, church, and organization that he's involved becomes one. And I was very thrilled, and I felt that uh, God's presence in this, so now I can 
brag about verse 28, the importance of it. Verse 30 is about true wisdom. Uh, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Did you ever, I know most of us know that the book of Proverbs is about the fear of the Lord. Right? In the beginning, the Bible talks about that. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom and knowledge. So that's how it begins, fear of the Lord. Do you know why we need to fear the Lord? Fear of the Lord or the it's beginning of the wisdom? Because, simply because, big old Proverbs, the wisdom is our Lord Jesus. We have to fear him. I don't mean negative way, in edifying way, in a, in a respectful, respectful way. We need to fear him. And because when you're living a life, because, because it's all about our Savior Jesus, and you say, ah, I want to go this way. But I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. Because this is where I would invite Jesus. You know? Man, I want to just do this to that person. But I know Jesus will not do that. So therefore, I'm going to do this way the way Jesus would do. Well, I want to go to that particular place or whatever kind of a party. Stuff that we all did when we were teenagers. It's not. I don't want to go there because I'll take my friends. But I know I'm not going to take Jesus with me. I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to go this way because this place, this particular party, I'll go there because I can take my Jesus with me. That's the fear of the Lord. You see, that's the fear of the Lord. The charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But the woman, the noble character who fears the wisdom, the essence of Jesus is to be praised. In verse 31, the final verse, can do. Even though we may struggle, God promised. It hasn't become a reality yet, but God promised he would give us comfort. God promised he would deliver. God promised one day I can wave my victory banner, even though I'm in pit right now, that he promised. I believe in that promise. And what he's saying is that God is saying, I will reward this person. Because she earned it. And the next word that comes to me is that when her, let her words bring her praise at the city gate. City gate is high place. It's a high place. It's finding favor. Finding favor. When God is favoring you, boy, a lot of amazing things can happen. A lot of amazing things happen. And that's the reason why all the godly men and women in the Old Testament, from Abraham to Moses to Nehemiah to Esther to Luke, uh, uh, to just everybody, a lot, just about, without any exception, when they were seeking something from God, when they needed something, when they needed direction from God, they all used this phrase. What phrase is that? You should remember, you should know by now. Oh God, if I am found favor in your sight or in your eyes, please give me, give me this, give me this, show me the way. Because all these godly men knew that even though they, they knew they tried to live in accordance with this way. They had a temptation. They failed. But when they were corrected, they repent and they confessed. And they took the detour and, and took the road, a narrow road where God was pleased. And they're using that. Just like little children, when your kids come to you and says, Dad, you know, please give me a new computer. You can tell from their voice. There's, there's a kid who, doesn't, who knows he doesn't deserve one because he messed up all the time. He's going to say, do you think you can give me a computer? But the, but the, but the kid who, who works so hard, he knows that he has a favor of God, even though he knows the father is not that uh, well-to-do. He's going to say, Dad, do you think I can have a computer? With the confidence and that's what a godly man did in the Bible. They asked for, in confidence, you know. 
When asked to, everybody knows about uh, if I die, I die. If I, you know. He said the phrases before, they said exactly that. If I'm found favor in your sight, I am going to go. So help me, even if I perish. Even if I die, I will do it. That's the whole context in which the particular, the famous phrase came about. So, let us be able to say, when asking God for something, say, be able to say with confidence, God, if I'm found favor in your sight, show me the way. We can do that if you live by his words. Let us pray. Father of God, we thank you so much.